Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today I'm going to do a special episode about bank financial statements. Now, if you've looked at corporate financial statements, the income statement, the balance sheet, the statement of cash flows, and then you compare it to a bank's financial statements, you're going to notice something very peculiar. So I want to feature one of the audience members to kick things off for this episode, and then I'm going to get into the nuances of bank financial statements. And you should really understand this, especially if you want to invest in banks or if you just want to understand the different types of financial statements and how they work with financial institutions. So to kick things off, I'm going to insert a question that was sent in from one of the audience members. I've been compiling feedback and questions from the audience, and I want to share with you today Gavin's question. Gavin is from Idaho, and so let's go ahead and listen to what Gavin has to ask about the podcast. Hi, Steve. Uh, my name is Gavin Anderson. I live over in uh, Montpelier, Idaho, just a small farming community. Appreciate your show. I just started listening to it. Spotify introduced me to it. I could really learn something from you. Um, you seem to really be enthusiastic about teaching others and uh, helping them figure out how things work in the financial world a little bit better. I've been investing. A big fan of mine is Warren Buffett, but I do like banks, investing in them. It seems like they're a little bit different. Their balance sheets income statements, cash flows, maybe. The question I had was, are bank statements and their balance sheets, are they recorded differently? Is there something different about them than there are like your, your regular corporation's balance sheets? All right, Gavin. So thank you so much for sending in your question and your feedback. This is really helpful. And it's helpful for me to understand what the audience is actually looking for. And the same thing is true for everybody who's listening to the podcast right now. If you have questions, send a voice recording, or you can send me a video. Just email it to steve at byfiq.com. I'll check it out. I'll compile it. And then when I have an episode that matches your question, or maybe I'll do a special episode just for you, I'll go ahead and feature that. And then I'll let you know when you're going live. So pretty cool. And Gavin, yeah, thanks a lot for supporting the show and sending in your question. Now, this is a, an important question because I'm sure it's on the top of mind for more people than just Gavin in Idaho. Because if you think about what's going on with our economy, there's this underlying issue that exists with financial institutions. Now, if you look at the financial position of banks and you try to understand their income statement and you're trying to understand it from a perspective of other corporations, you're going to get super confused, especially when it comes to their balance sheet which I'm going to explain in more detail in this episode. So that's why I think this episode is really important and really timely. And I really appreciate Gavin because, you know, we are in the middle of a major banking crisis. And I think it's really important to understand because most people have no clue what's going on. They just hear things like SVB, they failed, you know, First Republic and these other banks are struggling and they're getting bailouts or they're being gobbled up by the mega banks. And they don't really understand what's going on. Hopefully I could shed some light on this as I go through this episode. It's really important to understand because the banking sector underpins the overall health of the economy. I mean, if our financial institutions in the United States are unstable, our economy is really going to struggle and it's going to impact us everyday people that live on main street. Okay, metaphorical Main Street. Some of you may be living in a city, but it impacts us individuals in the United States because if these banks aren't stable and they require bailouts, then guess what? The government has to step in. They inject money into the financial system, 
which means they're printing more money, which is creating more inflation, which is forcing the Fed to raise interest rates to curb inflation. But when interest rates go up, these banks are getting squeezed because their money's tied up in bonds and other investments. And when interest rates increase, bond values decrease. And so these banks are holding these assets, which we'll get into. And so if customers come and want their cash withdrawn from their account, banks have to sell these assets at a loss, which creates the need for more shoring up in the financial system, which creates more printing of money and more inflation. And this cycle continues until we hit a very critical part in the economy, which does not look super pretty. Okay, so that's why I'm excited to do this episode, but let me first start by explaining how banks actually make money. So banks make money primarily through the interest they charge on loans and other financial products. They collect interest from borrowers who take out loans, mortgages, credit cards, and other financial products. Banks also earn interest on the deposits they hold, such as savings accounts, checking accounts, and certificates of deposit, CDs. Apart from interest income, banks also generate revenue through fees and commissions charged to customers for various services. And I'm going to go through that here in just a minute when I walk you through JP Morgan Chase and company's financial statements. Examples of these fees include overdraft fees, ATM fees, wire transfer fees, account maintenance fees, and more. So just think about it. Before we jump into JP Morgan's financial statements, I want you to answer this question in your head, or you can answer it out loud. If you're talking to yourself, you'd like to talk to yourself. That's totally cool. No judgment there. So answer this question for me. How much do you think the mega bank JP Morgan earns in fees related to overdraft fees, ATM fees, wire transfer fees, just fees on accounts? Okay. Just think about that. And then I'm going to answer that here in just a minute. Hopefully I don't forget to answer that, but (laughs) I'm going to answer it because I'm going to walk you through their income statement. Okay, so aside from that, banks also earn money through investing in securities and other assets that generate interest income. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Think about with COVID, there's this influx of cash, and that's exactly what happened to SVB. There's all this money coming in from tech investors and just from all this cash flow flowing around in the economy. So these banks see this influx of cash. Well, the only way they make money is by making loans to their customers or taking their customers' deposits, their demand deposits, and then investing it in other securities. That's exactly what they did. They took this cash, they bought treasuries and other financial assets that they deemed were safe because no one expected interest rates to increase five points in a short period of time. And therefore, they thought they were invested in these safe assets, all was well, and then next thing you know, interest rates start going up, the demand for cash increases as well. And then all of a sudden they're squeezed because they have to sell these assets at a loss. Remember when interest rates go up, bond values decline. Okay. So there's this inverse relationship that you need to understand. Banks can invest in government bonds, like I was saying, corporate bonds, stocks, and other financial instruments. Banks also provide advisory services for mergers and acquisitions, underwriting of securities and other investment banking activities. Furthermore, Banks can earn income from foreign exchange trading, providing foreign currency exchange services to their customers and other foreign currency transactions. So overall, banks generate revenue through various sources, but the primary source of income is the interest earned from loans and deposits. So if you think about that, and I'm going to walk you through 
JP Morgan's financial statements here in just a minute. I just went to the SEC's website. I pulled their most recent 10K, and that's what I'm going to be referencing. So if you're really nerdy and you want to pull that up on your computer, you can do so by just Google search Edgar SEC for Securities and Exchange Commission. There you'll type in the ticker symbol JPM for JP Morgan, and then click on their most recent 10K, search for their income statement, and that's what I'm gonna be walking through first, their income statement, and then I'll walk you through their balance sheet. So if you wanna follow along, that's totally cool with me. If you're driving, you're running, you're walking, if you're sleeping, whatever you're doing right now, and you don't have access to the screen, that's fine. I'll just walk you through each of these terms and these line items here in a succinct manner, and hopefully you can follow along. So let's talk about banks' financial statements. So banks, like other businesses, they prepare financial statements to provide information about their financial performance and position. There are three main financial statements that banks typically use, and this is no different from other corporations. The income statement, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash flows. Now, if you're listening to this, guess which financial statement I'm going to say is most important? The statement of cash flows. Okay, you did very good there. You know, I talk about that a lot, how most companies, they focus on the income statement. Sometimes they get to the balance sheet and the statement of cash flows is like, you know, the ignored stepchild, but really that's the most important financial statement. So banks have the same financial statements. They just look different. So the income statement shows the bank's revenue and expenses over a specific period of time, usually a year. It helps investors and stakeholders understand how much money the bank makes and how much it spends on operating expenses. The income statement includes items such as net interest income, non-interest income, and provision for loan losses. The balance sheet, on the other hand, shows the bank's assets, liabilities, and equity at a particular point in time. This is no different from other corporations. The balance sheet helps investors and stakeholders understand the bank's financial position and how much it owes to creditors and how much it owes to shareholders. The balance sheet includes items such as loans, deposits, investments, and capital. Moving on to the statement of cash flows, that shows how the bank generates and uses cash over a particular period of time. It helps investors and stakeholders understand the bank's ability to generate cash from three areas of the business, operations, investments, and financing activities, just like normal businesses. Overall, financial statements provide the essential information about a bank's financial position, their performance, and cash flow. These statements can be used by investors, analysts, regulators, and other stakeholders to assess the bank's health and make informed decisions about investing or lending to the bank. And that's exactly what Gavin is after here. He's interested in investing in banks, so he's doing the right thing by understanding the financial statements. You don't want to be speculative, okay? You don't want to just go in and short banks or invest in banks without understanding their financial position. So please don't do that. Don't speculate. Make sure you understand what their financial statements look like in the story behind those financial statements. Okay, so you may be asking yourself, all right, great, this sounds all fine, Steve. How are bank financial statements any different from corporate financial statements? Well, let me explain. Bank financial statements are different from other corporate financial statements in several ways. First, banks make money through interest income, while other corporations earn revenue from sales of goods or services. Therefore, the income statement of a bank looks different from that of a non-financial company with interest income as the primary source of revenue. So that's something that's very different. Second, banks hold a lot of assets and liabilities on their balance sheets, which may be different from those of non-financial corporations. 
For example, banks typically have loans and securities as their main assets, while non-financial businesses have inventory and accounts receivable. So there's some different line items and nuances there on the balance sheet. Third, banks are subject to different accounting and regulatory requirements than non-financial corporations. Banks need to follow specific accounting standards, such as IFRS, which stands for International Financial Reporting Standards, or GAAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, that are tailored to the banking industry. They also have additional regulatory reporting requirements to comply with, such as capital adequacy ratios, liquidity ratios, and stress tests. And you've probably been hearing these terms talked about a lot in the news if you're following the banking crisis. Lastly, banks' financial statements include additional disclosures about risks and uncertainties due to the nature of the banking business. These disclosures provide investors and stakeholders with a better understanding of the bank's operations and potential risks to its financial health. So overall, bank financial statements are unique due to the nature of the banking business and the regulatory and accounting requirements that govern it. So hopefully that helps you understand some differences and nuances when it comes to bank financial statements. Now, what I did is, like I said, I pulled JP Morgan's financial statements off the SEC's website. Okay, I'm looking at their 10K, and I'm gonna walk you through their income statement, also known as the Consolidated Statements of Income. Now, all their data is expressed in millions of dollars, so if you're looking at their financial statements, just think of it as the number shown on the financial statements plus six additional zeros, okay? And that will help you to understand what these numbers actually are as denominated in millions. Okay, so I'm looking at their income statement, and I'm going to walk you through each of these categories and provide a little bit more color so you can understand the story behind the numbers. The first section on the income statement is just like any other business. It's revenue. But like I said before, their sources of revenue don't come from selling products and services per se, like other companies. Instead, it's from advisory services or fees or interest income. So looking at JP Morgan's financial statements, the first line item that they have on the income statement is investment banking fees. And guess how much JP Morgan did from January 1st to December 31st of 2022. They did $6.6 billion in investment banking fees compared to 2021 where they did $13.2 billion. So in fact, 2022 is not a great year for the bank when it comes to investment banking. The reason why is because interest rates are higher, so the cost of capital is higher, and there's just not as many transactions in this type of environment. When the cost of capital is super high and there's these hurdles in place, it may not make sense to do as many M&A deals and just companies aren't selling and they're not acquiring as many businesses or going public or whatever it may be. So their investment banking fees have dropped significantly from $13.2 billion to $6.7 billion in 2022. The next line item that they have on the income statement are principal transactions. So these are just transactions that they did, different fees, $19.9 billion. So that's a big line item. Lending and deposit related fees, $7.1 billion. Okay, so those fees that they get from lending out money, from you know deposits, just anything related to that, yeah, $7.1 billion. Asset management, administration, and commissions, $20.7 billion. Investment securities, gains and losses, they actually lost $2.4 billion. 
mortgage-related fees, card income, and other income are the other items. So if you think about how much do banks make on your money, when you deposit your money with banks and they're charging you ATM fees or overdraft fees or whatever it may be, that number is in the billions of dollars. Okay, $7.1 billion in lending and deposit-related fees is what J.P. Morgan Chase generated in 2022. That's pretty consistent year over year. $7 billion in 2021 and $6.5 billion in 2020. So overall, J.P. Morgan in 2022 generated $61.9 billion in non-interest revenue. Okay, now remember we talked about interest income is one of their biggest revenue drivers. So non-interest revenue was $61.9 billion, $62 billion, okay? Now, interest income for the bank was, guess what? $92.8 billion, okay? $92.8 billion. So there are two line items in this section, interest income and interest expense, and those two numbers are netted against each other so you can see what the net interest income is. So $92.8 billion is what the bank generated by charging interest to its customers. It paid out $26.1 billion as interest expense on the money that they're holding. Okay, so they charge a lot more and then they pay you this meager amount. Remember the, the interest rates on a lot of accounts, even just a few years ago, was like point blah, 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 nothing. But now other banks like Ally Bank, for example, is like 4% right now. So banks charge interest, so they get interest income, then they net it out against the interest they pay out. So when netted together, JPMorgan Chase made $66.7 billion in interest income. So remember, they earned $62 billion in non-interest revenue, all those other fees and investment banking services, all the things that they, they did compared to their interest income was pretty much the same. So they what they make in interest income is equal to all the other activities they perform. So overall, the bank did $128 billion in net revenue in 2022. Okay, so nothing too crazy on the income statement there. There's the line items I think is pretty easy to walk through. Uh, what you have to notice is that there is a line item called provision for credit losses. So this is just a budget or an allowance that the bank is setting aside for potential losses because they know how many other loans go into default and they never recover that money on those. So they created an allowance called a provision and that hits the income statement. So you'll see that on there. Then you're going to see some other things like non-interest expense, like compensation expense, you know, paying employees, occupancy expense, that's the rent that they pay on these different locations, these brick and mortar buildings, technology, communications, equipment expense, professional outside services, marketing, and other expenses. So overall, the bank paid $76 billion in 2022 in non-interest expense. Then they have income before income tax. They take out their income tax and overall the bank made $37.7 billion in 2022 in net income. So not a bad business model. For some of the banks, I don't feel bad for them, uh, but that's how banks make money and that's how uh, you read a statement like JP Morgan's. Now I'm going to walk you through the balance sheet real quick. Try not to bore you too much. I know these are a lot of numbers that I'm going through, but try not to get caught up in the numbers. I just give you the numbers because I think they're interesting. That's why I like to look at financial statements of different companies, just to understand the scale of these operations and to see how much money they actually make. Okay, moving on to the consolidated balance sheets 
for JP Morgan Chase and Company. Balance sheet is broken down into assets, liabilities, and equity. Okay, those are the three sections. If you haven't heard my song from before, I sing this song. You know, it's like the income statement is a flow through, always starts with revenue. We talked about that. Cost of goods sold, banks don't really have that. And SGNA, and you end up with profit at the end of the day. That's the income statement song. So you have revenue, cost of goods sold typically, and then you have your selling general and administrative expenses, and then you have your profit. Okay, the balance sheet. It goes like this. The balance sheet is dear to me, assets, liabilities, and equity in order by liquidity, which I'll talk about. And it ties to net income with rigidity because net income flows from the income statement onto the balance sheet. Okay. Those are two dorky little songs that I came up with, but maybe it'll help you to remember what's on each of these financial statements. Okay. So like I said, the accounting formula the balance sheet, the way the balance sheet balances is assets equal liabilities plus equity. That's the accounting formula. Okay. That's the equation there. Assets equal liabilities plus equity. So if you drew a T on a piece of paper, the letter T, and on one side you have assets of the bank and the other side you have liabilities and equity, that's how things balance out. Okay. So pretty cut and dry, but let me walk you through JP Morgan's balance sheet. So I'm looking at their assets right now. Like I said, in order by liquidity. So on the balance sheet, they list the accounts in order of the most liquid assets or liquid liabilities. And that's really important to understand. So you you don't just put these items in any order. And for IFRS, if you're international, they're in a different order based on not just liquidity, but in the US for gap, they're in order by liquidity typically. So first you have cash and due from banks. That's the first line item on the balance sheet. So this is the amount of cash that they're sitting on and cash that's due from other banks, you know, short-term overnight type loans. And they're sitting on $27.7 billion in 2022. Okay. Which is pretty comparative to the year before $26 billion. So they, they keep that pretty consistent. Then the other asset is deposits with banks. So they have $539 billion sitting in deposits with banks, federal funds sold and securities purchased. They are sitting on $315.6 billion securities borrowed trading assets available for sale securities and held to maturity securities. These are other assets that the bank has invested their cash in so they can earn a return on And all those assets total $631 billion, okay, in 2022. Let's take a quick break. All right, I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. 
If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. Now, banks, they make loans to customers, and when they make loans, people have to pay them back. So a bank makes you a loan for your car. Well, you have to pay that that back, so it's an asset for the bank, it's a liability for you. So those are sitting on the balance sheet in the asset section, and it's called loans, but then there's a line underneath it called allowance for loan losses, and those netted together create this line item called loans, net of allowances for loan losses. Okay, so hold on, pause there. So basically what I'm saying is a bank has loans as an asset because it lend people money, businesses and banks and other financial institutions and individuals. They made loans to these people. These people have to pay these loans back, so therefore it's an asset to the bank because they're expecting this money back but they record it with an allowance to compensate for these loan losses that are inevitable in the banking industry. Okay, so you take those two things, and for example, JP Morgan has $1.1 trillion in loans extended to businesses and individuals and other institutions. It's accounting for $19.7 billion in losses, so the net of those two is $1.116 trillion. Like I said before, there are some regulatory requirements, and I'm glad they do this on the face of the financial statements, but they'll show their assets, but then they'll also show what they're expecting in loan losses. Okay, so what happens if there's a crisis, like what's happening right now, and banks are expecting bigger losses on their portfolios? Well, if that's the case, they have to record this as an allowance for loan losses on their assets, Okay, which reduces the asset value. And then they have to record that on the income statement and it impacts their earnings. So that's why it's such a big deal for these regional banks because regional banks made loans to people and maybe they're starting to default on these loans or they invested in securities and other assets and interest rates go up. Those assets are now worth less, especially when they have to sell them to get cash to give back to their customers. And so therefore, their losses are stacking up, which hits their income statement, which hurts their profitability, and then it impacts all these different ratios that allow the, the bank to show that they're you know, good, they're strong financially, and that they have liquidity. So that's essentially what's on the balance sheet when it comes to assets. There's other things like accrued interest and accounts receivable, premises and equipment, goodwill, there's other assets on there. But the big things, like I said, are the things up above that I just mentioned. Cash that they have, the securities and investments they make with the cash, and then the loans that they extend to businesses and individuals. So something important to understand is that when banks get cash from you, so let's say you go to the bank and you give the bank $1,000. You put that in your checking account. 
Well, there's a thing called a bank reserve requirement. And if you listen to last week's episode on Fin Weekly, I mentioned that regulators are looking to raise that ratio to 20%, which means you deposit the $1,000, the bank has to keep 20% of that in reserves. It can't go out and extend loans with it. It can't invest that in other securities. It has to keep that as a reserve. Think about it like a security deposit for like a, a landlord. You give them a security deposit. They can't go spend your security deposit. They have to keep it as a reserve. So when you move out, you get your money back. Okay. So the same thing is true with banks. There are reserve requirements. If the Federal Reserve and central banks want to stimulate the economy, they lower the reserve requirements. So therefore, banks can leverage up. They could take your cash. They can make more loans and they have to hold less in reserves. But when things are shaky, like right now, those reserve requirements increase because we need to stabilize the banking system. And therefore, if reserves go up to 20%, it may stabilize the banking system, but credit may not be as widely available like it has been for years. So just keep in mind, those reserves are considered an asset because they're sitting on cash, right? It's just sitting in a reserve, but I wanted to point that out. So you give them a thousand bucks, say the ratio is 10%, they have to hold $100 in reserves. If it's 20%, they have to hold $200 in reserves. They can't lend that money out. But if it's 10%, then they have $900 left to go make loans to other individuals or businesses or whoever it may be. And those loans are considered assets because those loans are typically going to be paid back. It's just different because if you look at a corporate balance sheet, you're going to see cash, you're going to see prepaids, you're going to see inventory, you're going to see accounts receivable, you're going to see different line items. You know, businesses aren't in the business of lending out their money and making loans. So it just looks different. Okay, now let's move on to the liability section. When it comes to liabilities of a bank, your deposit, also known as demand deposits, are considered a liability. So for example, on JP Morgan's balance sheet, they have a line item called deposits and it's $2.3 trillion in deposits. That's how much of your cash they're sitting on. So then there's other liabilities like federal funds that are purchased. They have short-term borrowings, trading liabilities, accounts payable, and other things like that. But the biggest liability that banks have is the deposits that you have entrusted the bank with. So $2.3 trillion. So hopefully that makes sense because if you look at a bank's financial statements, you may wonder, well, what the heck? Why are deposits down in liabilities? Because for most businesses, deposits are an asset. But you give the bank money, give them the $1,000 of yours. Well, that $1,000, they owe you that. If you go back to the bank and say, hey, I want my money on my checking account, they have to give you that cash, right? So that's why it's considered a liability. And that's the nuance of this. Okay, so hopefully that's not too confusing. If you just keep it very simple, the assets of a bank are the bank reserves that they're holding, the cash they're holding back that they can't lend out, and the loans they make, and the investments that they're making with your money to earn interest on the money that you give them. Okay, so they buy financial assets in order to earn money. So bank reserves, loans, and investments are assets of a bank. The liabilities are primarily the deposits that they owe their customers. There's other things in there too, but I mean, by a long shot, especially for JP Morgan, 
those deposits are huge, $2.3 trillion. And then in the last section of the balance sheet is stockholders' equity. And this is pretty much the same for banks and corporations. You'll see if they have preferred stock or common stock, they'll have additional paid in capital, retain earnings. This is how much money the company has earned over its lifetime and retained. Uh, they have accumulated in other comprehensive losses. That's to do with like foreign exchange stuff. And then they have treasury stock. This is how much of their own stock that they've bought and back. So that section right there with equity, don't get too confused. It's quite simply, it's how much money investors are putting into the business and then how much money is being taken out. And then net income and your earnings also hits the equity section, but don't get too confused on that. It's pretty much the same as other businesses. All right, so that's how the income statement and then the balance sheet works for a bank. From a statement of cash flows, I'm not gonna walk you through how that works exactly because it pretty much flows through just like other corporations. So if you wanna know how a statement of cash flows works, just go back to some of my first episodes of this podcast. I'll walk you through uh, the statement of cash flows in those episodes. Also, if you wanna know how an income statement or a balance sheet or a statement of cash flow works for just corporations and you're more interested in this now that you've heard this episode, Go to the app, the Boosting Your Financial IQ app, which is free. So if you don't have that on your phone or your iPad or whatever mobile device you're using, go to the Apple app or Google Play Store, download the app, and it's free. Sign up, and then when you sign up, you'll gain access to a section, and in there I have little short videos that are exclusive to the app that will walk you through how an income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flow works. Those videos are very short. Some of them are three to five minutes. I also will show you how to analyze these financial statements. But hopefully this episode helped you to understand the nuances of a bank's financial statements and now you understand how they differ from those of corporations. I am so grateful for Gavin sending in his question because this is what prompted me to do this very special episode just for him. So Gavin, bam, shout out to you. For everybody else, thanks for tuning in for another episode. I hope that this was helpful. If you get value out of this, I would love for you to rate the podcast. That'd mean the world to me. But also what I'd really love is to hear from you. Like I said at the beginning, send me your questions. Send me your feedback. Do you like the podcast? Do you not like the podcast? Do you want me to do different episodes? What do you What do you want? So connect with me on social media. Send me an email, steve at byfiq.com. Download the app. Just immerse yourself in this community and let's make it better for everybody. My whole purpose is, is to increase financial intelligence across the board. I'm super passionate about that. If you can't already tell, those are my parting words. Thanks for joining me for this episode. And in the meantime, continue to learn ambitiously. There's so many opportunities out there when you know the language of money. All right, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. 
Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing. If you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.